0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown podcast. I am your host, Ellis Williams. A little later, we'll have Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, and Scott Pasco in here. But first, here's what's going on with the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield has plenty on his plate heading into Sunday's game, but dealing with the fallout from a testy Q&A session Wednesday with the landondemand.com B reporter Tony Grossi. Mayfield stormed away from the podium and had his press conference cut short after growing upset with the line of questioning. Mayfield disagreed with the idea that the Browns should have Conserve more time and been more aggressive late in the first half of Sunday's loss to the Patriots. Grossi finally asked him, Were you happy with the drive? And Mayfield responded, Was I happy with the drive? No, we didn't score points. That's the dumbest question you could ask. As Mayfield left, he said, Jesus, Tony. Within a couple hours, a local vendor had already started selling Jesus Tony t-shirts online. Mayfield later tweeted, My sense of urgency is at an all-time high, and if you are offended that, that's too bad. Despite all the rumors and speculation, the Browns are the same team today that they were before Tuesday's 4 p.m. NFL trade deadline. Reports were that the Browns general manager, John Dorsey, wanted to upgrade the offensive line and were hot on the trail of Washington holdout left tackle Trent Williams. But the deal never happened, and the Browns did not make a move. Browns coach Freddie Kitchens wouldn't say if the team was close to making a move, adding, you can ask John that. Kitchens also isn't letting on about who will start on offensive line Sunday against Denver, other than saying we will continue to evaluate as we go along. As the Browns game plan for the Broncos on Sunday, they are watching film on a different QB than they originally thought. Veteran Joe Flacco was placed on injured reserve this week with a herniated disc in his neck. Therefore, Brandon Allen will make his first NFL start after playing on three different NFL teams over the course of four years. Allen is the Broncos' sixth starting quarterback since Peyton Manning retired, he is making his first start since guiding Arkansas past Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl on January 2nd, 2016. Freddie Kitchen said the two and five Browns shouldn't think they'll have an easy time against this first-time starter. instead Kitchen said the last 42 quarterbacks who started their first NFL game are 16, 25 and 1 and in those games completed 60% of their passes. Kitchen said, quote, "We have to prepare for him just like he is a starter. he's officially. Now an NFL starter. The Browns are working this week to reduce mistakes and turnovers, especially false starts. Kitchen says to get the players' attention, the coaches may bring back a tactic they used during training camp, wind sprints. Kitchen says, quote, we've identified the problems that we need to correct, and hopefully they get corrected. It takes everybody, and everybody has to be pointed in the right direction. I feel like we are. Now we have to go out and do it. But that starts today. Anyone who's been to Denver knows the mile-high altitude can get anyone winded, even NFL players. The Browns are heading out to Colorado on Friday, two days before the game, to get acclimated to the time change and thin air. The Browns flew out to California a day before their Monday night game, played poorly, and received questions about why they didn't go sooner. Kitchen says the arrival time and the altitude aren't going to be a big topic of discussion for this team. Quote, it does not matter where we play the game. There are 10 other teams, counting the preseason, that go in there and play. We are just one of those ten, and we have to go in and take care of ourselves. That's it. That's what's happening with the Browns. Before we get to our questions from Football Insider subscribers, here's mary Kay Cabot to tell you more about how you can join Football Insider, which has a 14-day free trial.
1: Well, all you have to do is click on the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com browns, and what you will find there is an exclusive piece of content From all the Browns writers, every day we'll dive into a topic. uh, We'll give you something that you're not going to find anywhere else on the site or on a video or anything. And uh, it's just for you. In addition to that, I will be texting you a couple of times a day. Uh, Like today, for instance, I would have texted uh, about Trent Williams, about Baker Mayfield storming off. Thoughts on that, some analysis. Things that you can take right over to the water cooler and either know before someone else. Or everyone else or have a, our opinions on it before other people do it's about the price of a pumpkin spice latte and you get it for the whole month
0: there you go so as Mary Kay said that is how you get your questions into the Orange or Brown podcast for us to answer here so with that being said let's dive right into it this first question from the area code 561 uh, regarding Odell Beckham from what you guys have seen this year what has been the biggest factor in Odell Beckham Jr. not making an impact that we've expected? Is it the double teams, the O-line not giving Baker enough time, bad play calling, or something else entirely? So, Mary Kay, let's start with you. What have you been seeing?
1: Well, I really think it goes back to the fact that you know he just wasn't around very much throughout the offseason and he didn't practice very much with Baker Mayfield during the preseason. Why do we talk about Rashad Higgins all the time? Uh, because he has a special chemistry. With Richard Higgins, uh, between Richard Higgins and Baker Mayfield, that was forged when they were both on the second team together last year, and they worked and worked and repped it. And Baker and Odell, they don't have that. And I think the other factor here is I think sometimes when you spend your entire career with one quarterback, every day in practice, every game that you have played in your entire career, and the ball comes in a certain way, Or, you know, even a a back shoulder throw comes to you a certain way at a certain velocity. I think that that's hard to all of a sudden adjust to a different quarterback. You know, the, the pace, where you're putting it on his body, that takes a long time. I've heard Julian Edelman talk about, you know, just even having long conversations with Tom Brady about, you know, how do you like things? Where do you want me to be? And I just don't think Baker and Odell have that yet.
0: Yeah, it's a plug-in situation here, and clearly the results haven't uh, taken form. So, Dan, what have you been seeing, and what what do you think they need to do to start getting Odell the ball more?
2: You know, I I just don't think they're being super creative in getting him the ball. You know, let's run some slants. Let's do some different things outside of just kind of heaving the ball down the field at him every now and again or, you know, those quick little passes to the sideline where you're trying to make him miss. Get Odell Beckham the ball, and like he did against the Jets, where you he took that that long pass. I don't remember the yardage off the top of my head, but it was probably the Browns' longest offensive play of the season. So you know, let's see more of that. Let's see more of Odell Beckham involved, making catches, running after the catch, you know, doing stuff like that instead of getting the ball out wide in space. I I think Beckham can do that, but give him a chance to actually gain some speed, get down the field, do do some different things with him.
3: Yeah, I think. Those bubble screens, we've seen a lot of those. And what we haven't seen, like you said, Dan, is those, those slants that get him moving. We've seen maybe one or two where, you know, he gets the ball on the run, running towards the middle of the field. He, he makes people miss. He uses his speed to get down the field, and, and that's been missing. But I, I don't know if you really put your finger on one thing. Because when you think about Odell Beckham this season, you think of the throws that are too high or or the drops that he's had. You know, um, it's just kind of a com- combination of things. It's not any one thing, which kind of th- makes it extra difficult for the Browns to figure it out because it isn't just a quick fix.
0: Yeah, Scott, I completely agree with that because, you know, you can't just put it on one thing and you almost have to go game by game. You know, you think of the Jets game, it was probably the old line. Uh, against the Rams, there were moments he's open and then Baker Mayfield just isn't hitting him because Mary Kay, like you said, the timing isn't there, the experience, the chemistry. Um, you'll get the 49ers. Again, a lot of that's on Baker, and then the game just kind of got out of hand there, so you're throwing an entire second half of opportunity out the window. Um, Seahawks, it was pretty clear on the timing. Uh, I know we highlighted several times the the pump fake to Beckham, and then on the next play, there's an interception. Uh, if you just get Beckham the ball there at first, uh, the interception doesn't happen, and then you are able to get him in, the ball in space, and he's off running. Um, you know, And then you go to the Patriots game, and... And you, you can probably blame the elements, you know, you or uh, excuse me, Odell said it after the game, you know, it's, it's tough to throw the ball when the weather's like that, though it's not a complete excuse. It's the NFL. It still changes the way you're going to call a game. And then again, they're off game script when they're down 17, zero. Uh, one thing I saw real interesting on tape was Freddie kitchens made an effort to get Odell back on the ball quickly on bubble screens early. But when you get off script like that, uh, Everything goes out the window. So, Mary Kay, I want to ask you, if this problem keeps lingering, where do you see this going with Odell Beckham Jr.?
1: Well, you know, that, that is a great, great question. Uh, he's already talking about, after that game, the fact that they don't, he doesn't think that they challenged enough with him against Stefan Gilmore when he had mm-hmm. one-on-one matchups. Basically, he, he said afterwards that he didn't think that, uh, they gave him enough opportunities to help him win that game. We've already heard that from Jarvis about Odell. So I think that's where this go- This is going. He was unhappy in New York. He's not going to be happy here if he's not having a chance to help them win games. And there's more to it than that. He wants to establish a legacy. We already know he's one of the best receivers of all time. He doesn't want to come and languish on a team. He wants to make a name for himself. He wants to break Jerry Rice's all-time receiving yardage record. That's not going to happen at 50 yards a game. It's just Mm not. I mean, him and Jarvis have one touchdown catch between them.
0: Isn't that crazy? It's It's
1: completely (laughs) crazy. It's completely crazy. So, you know, I don't think this is going to have a happy ending unless they can get it turned around fairly quickly. I will say, however, and I've been saying this a ton, the last nine games includes a lot of bad opponents, a lot of bad defenses, some good defenses, Buffalo's defense is good. Denver's defense is good. The Ravens is better now. Jimmy Smith is back. Brandon Williams is back. But there are going to be opportunities over the next nine weeks for, for Odell to look really good against some bad teams.
2: So, some of this is on Odell, too. You know, Let's not forget that back shoulder yep. catch that he didn't make. It hit him right on his body on Sunday, and he didn't make it. And there's been some other balls that have gone off his hands and things. You know, There's been some passes where he's had opportunities to make catches, and he hasn't. So let's not... You know, let's not make Odell the the victim here completely. I, I think that he's been part of the problem as well, and the Browns need to just get all of that sorted out.
3: Yeah, he's got four drops this yep. season. They've all come in the last three games. He's had more than four drops in the entire. He, he's never had more than six drops except for one year of his career for an entire season. He had eleven in 2016, but other than that, it's been six or below. So probably going to break that uh, again this year. He's gonna. You know, he's got four already. Uh, we saw last week the one going off his arm on the back shoulder. Maybe, like you said, Mary Kay, that's, that's a product of, of familiarity. But it seems that there's, like, a comfort level that isn't there that maybe he's had in past seasons.
1: Right. I think that's where that does come in. The fact that they are kind of teaching an old dog new tricks with a quarterback that he is not used to, and I don't think he has adjusted to the velocity. You know, whatever the case may be, they're – they're off. I mean, it's just so right. obvious that they're off, and uh, and I I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. But if they are going to get this turned around, it has to come from uh, Jarvis making big plays and Odell making big
0: plays. Yeah, and Scott, I'm glad you brought up that back shoulder. Um, you know, everyone knows the back shoulder is much more of a chemistry route, a timing per- precision route than it is. Um, really anything to do with skill level. You think of uh, the Green Bay Packers, guys like James Jones made a living off just catching back shoulders from Aaron Rodgers. Um, it was incredibly clear that Odell and Baker just don't have that chemistry. I mean, that ball hit Odell in the bicep, and he's expecting it low. It just he didn't know where that ball was coming. Um, and, you know, Odell doesn't really have much of a history catching back shoulders with Eli Manning either. So it, it, there might be something here where he just has not been able to develop A rapport with these quarterbacks. And for whatever reason, um, it's really coming to light here in Cleveland. And for the life of me, I can't figure out the drops. I mean, this guy is completely reinvented the one-handed catch. (laughs) You know, it did something that's now drilled at the high school level. um, And now we're seeing balls go off two of his hands. So again, I I don't know exactly where this goes, but like Mary Kay said, it does need to get cleaned up quickly or This thing is going to just, you know, spiral out of control.
1: Do you remember last week when he said during his press conference that I was battling some internal stuff in the first? So I walked up to him uh, the day after that, and I said, like, what did you mean by that? I said, were you still talking about the fact that, you know, this has been a big adjustment for you, that you're still grappling with the trade and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, the watch. (laughs) They won't let you wear the watch. And he, you know what? I have that answer somewhere on my tape. I really didn't even understand the answer. I mean, he didn't really get specific. And he said, you know, just, you know, working through some... He just said the same thing again, basically, that, you know, just working through some things. And, you know, I don't know. And he was limited today with the groin injury, so I don't know if he's talking about anything that has to do with that. I honestly don't know. But for whatever whatever the case is, he's really just not himself.
0: He doesn't seem happy. No. Right? I mean, it just, it seemed very coded. It seems uh, guarded and where's that smile that he, you know, he's so known for and the, the, the energy um, it, it, we're not seeing it. We're not feeling it. And again, you know, that can then trickle into the football field. You know, if you're not exactly where you want to be either physically or upstairs, um, your focus is just a little bit off. I mean, a false start penalty on one of the best wide receivers in football, you know, that doesn't happen in high school. Oh, so I, I, again, I, I don't know where this is going, but it feels like, um, and we'll get into the locker room today a little later, but it just seems like there's an edge there. Not saying it starts with Odell, but you know he keeps talking about being a leader of this team, and we, we haven't we haven't really seen it.
1: Well, he came from a team that was losing, and now he's on a team that's losing. Right, <laughs> right, and he was very unhappy with the losing in New York. And how much did his eyes light up talking about Bill Belichick yeah. and Tom Brady last week? Right, yeah. he landed on a team right now that's losing. So I think that's probably the
2: biggest He gave Tom Brady goat skin (laughs) shoes. Right. I got a few pairs of those at (laughs) (laughs) uh,
0: You know, all about being the goat. Yeah,
2: goat skin shoes that I just wear around the house.
0: I love that. You know, and not only did uh, when we saw him light up about Tom Brady, but, you know, there was much fuss made on Twitter about that private conversation they had outside the locker room in Foxborough, you (laughs) know. So – you just see Odell Beckham, he's very uh, vocal, whether it's on Instagram or how he a- addresses Tom Brady in the, in the media about how, you know, guys like Tom Brady or Drake or the Stephen Currys of the world, you know, he sees himself as this winner. I think his quote was even, he's more of a goat than I am. And you, right. know, and you can, you can take that little quote and kind of take it out of context. It's not really what he meant. He just meant, you know, this guy's literally the goat and I have a long way to go. At least that's how I took it. But still, he puts himself on that same level with these guys, but he's losing. And as you said, he lost in New York, and now he's losing here. Um, You know, he wanted to, there were always rumblings about him ending up in L.A. Right. Sure, he'd love to be in L.A. And then, of course, he addressed the Patriots thing. Um, So, Mary have you've mentioned that, too, how this is the players' movement era, kind of how it's trickled down from Mm -hmm. the NBA to the NFL, um, is there a world where this Odell Beckham experiment doesn't last that long?
1: Well, I will be writing a column about this over the next couple of days because I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, and, and I do think that, uh, that the Browns have to show that they are destined for some big-time winning okay. pretty, pretty soon uh, because players do start to call their own shots now in the NFL. Trent Williams is mm-hmm. calling his own shot. Jalen Ramsey calling his right. shot. Antonio Brown, although that's a different circumstance. But Le'Veon Bell, right? Yep. I mean, you're seeing it. This is the era of we're giving up millions of dollars and we are going to control our destiny to a certain degree. And so I, I do think that they have to demonstrate that this thing is headed in the right direction very quickly. So,
3: a year or two from now, are we going to look at that Brady uh, Beckham goat haired shoes meeting the same way we did the Dorsey gentleman dinner at, at the Combine?
1: But yeah, I think it's pretty clear, uh, Odell made it very clear last week that he really wanted to play for the Patriots. I mean, I actually, yesterday was thinking, God, I wonder if like, <laughs> I wonder if the yeah. Patriots are going to call and pry mm. him away from the Browns. There's that thought in my mind, like, wow, you know?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly where my head went when I was seeing the tweets about the little secret meeting in the hallway, and I know Brady's son was there, and it was more about the kids. Um But for you NBA fans out there, it it reminded me of Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. You know, Draymond Green, while Kevin Durant's on the Oklahoma City Thunder, is texting... uh, Draymond's texting KD about, hey, we need you here, you know? So, and look, you mentioned how these athletes aren't afraid to give up the millions now. If anyone can make money away from football and be all right, it's Odell Beckham Jr. Um, So, yeah, you know, obviously it's something we keep following, and one win changes everything, you know, and this team feels like they just need that, so... Uh, we're going to go on and get, get this next question from uh, area code 925. Dan, David Njoku, um, simply, what's Njoku's timetable look like, and is he still expected to be back at some point this season? Uh, do you see him being a meaningful part of this offense and helping Baker? Mary Kay?
1: You know, he is eligible for return, and I believe, Dan, maybe you can help me with this. I actually
2: written. answered a Twitter question about this today. There we okay. go. Well, Miami is the first That's game what to I come thought. back. You have to be out six weeks. Um, I don't know if those are game weeks. It doesn't really matter. You have to miss eight games, and then they have to designate him to return. I, I don't remember all the nuts and bolts of that. Uh, Drew Forbes is probably going to be designated to return, so he'll probably be the first one. And then David Njoku would be your second one if they bring him back. But Miami on November 24th is the first game Njoku could be back.
1: And, you know, I do think that if they can get him back on the field, they would like to have him back. Uh, Actually, Farrell Brown's out with a concussion right now, uh, so yeah. I mean, Demetrius Harris has has done a pretty nice job, but I do think and and Ricky Seals Jones yep. has filled in admirably for David. But David's their first round pick, and so I think they would like to get him back. I think they wanted him to make a big jump this year, right. and they had high hopes for him. And so I think he will. Uh, I think he'll make it back onto the field.
3: He's clearly the best option for the for the throws into the back of the end zone. You know, we saw that all through training camp. They've done it a couple times with Harris, and he's, he's made a couple nice catches, but uh, Njoku uh, really seemed to improve on that. We saw, I mean, we just, that was like a big thing. Every time they got in the red zone, they were looking for him. You know, he had 56 catches, 88 targets last year, uh, four touchdowns, and I think everybody expected him to to build on that. So, yeah, bringing him back is, is going to be a nice addition for the offense. Even with what Ricky, Ricky Seals Jones has done. But, but even combining him and, and Harris, it, it's, not, it's not the same production that they wanted out of
2: Najoki. Th- I do think we need to be a little bit careful looking at him and saying, oh, he's going to fix things. Right. Because yeah, there's right. still issues with Najoki. Scott, obviously, you mentioned the red zone stuff. He's really good there. Uh, Outside the 20s, a little questionable. Drop passes, yep. uh, not the most reliable pass catcher for Baker Mayfield missing, But he is a guy that has chemistry with Baker, at least. So I think he helps this team. I don't think he's necessarily a fix. So if this team, for some reason, struggles over the next four games before he comes back, I don't know that he necessarily fixes things, but he's at least another weapon and and another pair of hands uh, to have out there, especially in the red zone.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you on that, Dan, because it it seems like uh, Ricky Seals-Jones came in and did uh, some really nice things and caught some nice passes already this year to the point where if you didn't get David Njoku back, for the rest of the year, I don't think it's going to make or break you one way or the other. So it would be a luxury to have him back, but they can live without him.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that because what we've seen from Baker Mayfield is he doesn't care who's at tight end. He's going to throw the ball there. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'd be willing to bet that uh, the tight end position group as a whole leads this team in red zone targets. You know, when's the last time you've seen Baker even look Odell's way?
3: Yeah, that's I've noticed that too. Yeah. Uh, the best receivers seem to be decoys down there. and. Is that best case scenario? I don't know, um, but you know the offense is struggling and they're throwing to the tight ends in key moments.
1: Yeah, that that is and that brings us back to, I do think that you have to try to get the ball to Odell and Jarvis more in the red zone, in the end zone, and try to force that issue a little bit. I mean, these guys, uh, you know, they can they can score the football, so give them a chance to do that.
0: Right, because there's going to come a point where you need the touchdown and you're going to target the tight end, and it, you know, it's going to be a drop or it's going to be the wrong route. You know, they're, look, these guys are all professionals, but there's levels to this too. And you, you can't have when, you know, let's say, the division's on the line against Baltimore um, and you're throwing to you know, Demetrius Harris, he's proven he can go score that touchdown. But still, it's, it, it seems like it's a position Baker uh, is infatuated with. He feels comfortable. And really, it's the one-on-one matchup that he's looking for because he knows that uh, they're taking away Odell, they're taking away Jarvis, uh, and that's where he's looking. Um, I want to ask you guys, I noticed this last time um, David Njoku was in the locker room. Uh, I believe his cast was still on. so I, I'm not sure what that means for a timetable, but um, you have to wonder if he will even be ready to play by that Miami day, don't you? I mean, this, like you said, this team might just be ready to play the rest of the season for the most part without him.
1: Yeah, maybe, but, you know, I think you can take a cast off you okay. know, pretty quickly and get rolling. I mean, it'll take him a little while to get the strength and right. the, the muscle tone back in that arm, but I, I don't think having the cast on right sure. now means he won't make it back by then.
2: This team's not, at least at this point, this team's not just thinking about the end of November and December. You want to have him back and available for the postseason, so you've got to... You've got to make him one of the two guys you bring off IR if you want to have him in January. If this team makes it there,
1: postseason. What are you drinking yeah, over there, too?
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to playoff. talk about
0: it. Yeah, we got the playoffs. yet? Anyways,
1: coffee. I promise. Uh, it's, a little but, hot toddy or something over there, Dan.
0: There <laughs> we go. It's been a long day. Um, so going from the pass catchers to the guys blocking for them, uh, you know, a lot of discussion about the offensive line, obviously with the trade deadline, which we'll get into. A little later, the Browns stayed pat, didn't make any trades. So this question coming from the area code 561 uh, involving the offensive line, simply asks, what makes anyone think the Browns can draft a lineman? (laughs) Example, Corbett, third-rounder Drew Forbes, has not played at all this year. Seems like a lot of hype, no results. So did this team, I guess I'll add a little bit to the question, make a mistake not acquiring Trent Williams due to its failure of drafting offensive linemen anyway?
1: Well, first of all, Drew Forbes has been on injured reserve, so that's why he hasn't played yet. Now, we all know that Austin Corbett, at least for this team, uh, was a bust at number 33 overall. But it'll be interesting to see if the Rams can get something out of him and if he becomes a good offensive lineman. Uh, I've heard from people that they think that he still has some upside potential and he can be a valuable lineman in this league. Will that happen? We don't know. Uh, But I think the mistake they made was they thought maybe he could be the heir apparent to Joe Thomas. And that's what we heard on draft day. They Mm -hmm. sat up there and said, yeah, we think, you know, maybe he can be that. Well, when when it didn't turn out to be that, uh, then they had a hard time finding a spot for him. What I would do if I were the Browns and it comes time to draft a left tackle if they decide to do that. Let's say they don't go back at Trent Williams, which maybe they will. But if they don't go back at him or some other free agent off, uh, left tackle and they try to draft one, I think I would actually bring in a consultant to help with that. Because no. it is hard. It's, it's a hard thing to do. I'm not exactly you know, sure who the right person to do that would be, but they did that with Baker Mayfield. Uh, they had Scott McLuhan help them draft Baker Mayfield. And so I think they, sh- they would need to get the uh, the leading uh, offensive line guru, and, and bring that person in to help identify who the best left tackle in the draft is.
2: How about a certain former left tackle who does a podcast? There you go. Yeah,
1: somebody like that. LaCharles Bentley, right?
2: Yeah, go get LaCharles Bentley. You know? The guy working for NFL Network, though, I think he probably knows some, yeah. some left tackle stuff. Right. Uh, I mean, they really have botched the position. There's no way around i'm not going to blame them for trent williams if they made an offer and didn't get him i think washington bungled that more than the browns did but they knew joe thomas was going to retire i mean they knew that it was possible maybe they didn't know it was going to happen but look we were all sitting here watching this guy seeing him at the greater cleveland sports awards looking like a high school power forward everybody kind of knew he was probably going to hang it up and they never really did anything about it and then they drafted austin corbett who Played left tackle at Nevada, but had the body of a guard. And they just never really have tried to address the position uh, directly, and you know, left them in a position where they had Joel Batonio playing for a little while at left tackle in the preseason. And then, yet you're you're trying to rely on Desmond Harrison, Greg Robinson, who was has flamed out in two other places before getting replaced here last uh, last week. So, so they just haven't paid the attention to the position that they need to pay, and it's probably going to mean that now they have to use a first-round pick on it.
3: I think if you go back to the original question here from the uh, subscriber, what makes anyone think the Browns can draft a lineman? What you're really asking is what makes anyone think Dorsey <laughs> can draft a lineman? And right. I think that's a fair question because hey, you go back to his Kansas City days, his first pick, number one overall, Eric Fisher. Um, he's, he's been a, a, a part of that offensive line ever since then. He was a Pro Bowler last year. I, I don't know if he was voted in. Or not, but if we can call Derek Anderson a pro bowler, we can call him a pro sure, bowler. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's but beyond that, <laughs> it, that, that's the one, the offensive line is the one place where Dorsey has really not made his mark drafting. Right. You know, um, and like you said, Forbes, we don't really know, although he, he seemed to be on the rise at the end of camp. He kind of became part of their right guard conversation late. Um, but, yeah, it's one thing that, that we haven't really seen from Dorsey yet, whether or not he can, he can find a, a a lineman, or at least consistently fine lineman, who, who produce.
1: Well, there was a, well, there was talk at first that Drew Forbes was a possible left tackle of the future. And then all of a sudden, then he became a guard. So I also think that maybe bringing in like a Joe Thomas to, because remember when, you know, they were talking about Corbett as the left tackle, right away, Joe was like, he's a guard, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it was like, God spoke, <laughs> you know, he is a guard. And that ended Austin Corbett's left tackle career like that day so i do think um, you know that they they need some help in that regard i think it's hard i think it's hard to draft a really good left tackle yeah there's i don't know what the statistics are but there are plenty of busts which is why of course they went after trent williams i mean if you can land a seven-time pro bowler and you don't and you can take the guesswork out of it by all means you want to try to do that
2: you don't have to draft Joe Thomas, but you also can't go into this draft looking at a guy who played left tackle at Nevada and isn't built like a left tackle. You know, go look at a big program that has a really good offensive line and draft their left tackle. You know, not that it's really that simple, but you know, don't overthink this and go after some guy that you're not sure and you're going to start him outside and end up moving him inside, just go draft a left tackle. And it doesn't have to be Joe Thomas. It doesn't have to be a Hall of Famer. It doesn't even necessarily, obviously, you want your first-round pick to be a pro bowler, but if he can just be good in that position and and give you seven, eight years of really good left tackle play,
3: that's what you need to do. That's where we're at. Just be good. (laughs) That's it. Just be good. We'll, We'll be shocked if the Browns don't draft a tackle in the first round. I, I sure. think so.
1: I haven't really looked them over yet. Have you looked over the tackles yet, Ellis?
0: You know, it sounds like, uh, you know, as Dan was saying, it sounds like Wisconsin, as I usually do, has a good oh, group. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and there was some talk on Twitter about that group being targeted. So um, it sounds like a, a stronger class than normal, um, which should time out well for the Browns. But again, and then it goes to, you know, to Ken John Dorsey now, this pick.
1: I think it's time for a left tackle film review.
3: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, it passed in in recent Brown seasons, we were we were knee deep in, in college recruiting at this point. Of yes.
1: Days. Oh yeah. A little
3: different, even though they are two and five, we're, we're we're still not there yet.
1: You know what I think? The other thing was, I really do believe that they were excited about Desmond Harrison, and they felt that he was the prototypical left tackle, and that he had the right body type and the physical skills and everything that he needed to be successful at that position except for the fact that he just didn't have the character, the off-the-field stuff to be able sure. to do it and to pull it off.
2: That sums up John Dorsey's approach for the draft. Does I mean if he finds somebody who he just falls in love with their physical traits? right? Everything else, forget it. We're going to bring this guy in, and we're going to try and make him into a player. And it's worked out really great for him sometimes. It hasn't worked out other times. But it, it's just interesting to see that it's not just skill position guys. It's interesting to see that he'll kind of fall in love with that sort of stuff in a left tackle as well.
0: Yeah, it's a high-risk, high-reward concept, but the O-line is a position you can't get wrong, because when you get it wrong, it's glaringly obvious, and it ends up not only hurting your team, but your investment at quarterback, too. Um, quickly, do we know at all uh, about Drew Forbes returning? Is that something that uh, we're expecting later in the year, that this team's expecting back later in the year? And if so, um, where do you guys see him playing in this whole re of the O-line?
2: Well, he's back in practice. So that's a, a good sign that they want to bring him off of IR. I'm, I'm actually pulling up the IR list here to make sure I'm not forgetting someone else that, that maybe could make a return. Uh, and I don't really you know, you got Njoku. and that's really it. Kirksey's done for the year. Yep. You know they're going to bring back Willie Harvey over uh, over Drew Forbes. So I, I think it's a very good chance that Njoku and Forbes will be your two guys back if both actually do come back. And of course Forbes is already practicing. I don't know though if he's going to come out and play. I don't know where you're going to put him. Are you going to play him at left tackle? That's pretty risky. They, they've kind of been rotating right guards for some reason. That was a weird thing on Sunday that they rotated their yeah. right guards in game. Maybe if Wyatt Teller isn't very good there, maybe they go with Drew Forbes and give him an opportunity. You're not going to replace Joel Batonio. I, I do think they want to see if he can maybe be a backup center, but he's not going to play in place of J.C. Treader. So I don't know if we're going to actually see Drew Forbes on the field necessarily. There's a chance, but I'm not sure right now that we will.
1: He's in the midst of a 21-day window when they designated him to return. So they opened a 21-day window, uh, and during that time, they have the uh, the opportunity to activate him. And, uh, you know, it could be one of those things where they want to get him up here on the roster and get him some playing time to see what he can be for the future. If it gets to the point where... Now, they expect. I, I think they still fully expect to be in this thing right up until the end. Yep. But in in the event that they can find some reps for him, I think they want to try to get him on the field and see what he is and what he can do down the road.
0: Yeah. So what this all sounds like is we're going to be dealing with a revolving door really at almost every position on this offensive line for the rest of the year. All right. I mean, we, they're already rotating guys at right guard in the middle of the game. So it yeah. sounds like this is going to keep being a. An attempt to find a cohesive five, which just may never happen.
3: That's really not best case scenario, is it? <laughs> you know. No, we hear from the offensive lineman all the time. You got to work together. You got to have chemistry, right? Five fingers on a hand, <laughs> and yeah. that's not it. If you're going one game with Justin McCray, the next game with you know whoever else, Kendall Lamb's in the in the conversation too. Yes. You know he uh, he played well in the preseason, although admittedly he was not playing against top competition because right. you know, he's playing in the second half, but. You know, he's the first, he was the first option when Greg Robinson got ejected in week one. Um, got four snaps in before he got hurt. But I'm sure they want to take a, a look at him. And he was a full participant today, what, the first time since, since the injury. So right, we might see him.
1: Exactly. I mean, he could be someone that they plug in on either side. Because if they're not happy with Justin McRae, who I think was the 66th or 69th best tackle this past weekend... Uh, graded yeah, out good. at Pro Football Focus yeah. at like a 32 something. Yeah, uh, it was didn't, bad. Didn't grade out well. Uh, so either Greg Robinson has a chance to win his job back there if he gets it together, or maybe you plug Kendall Lamb in there, or if you're not happy with Chris Hubbard on the other side, maybe you put Chris or someone else over there. But I do think you're right, Ellis. I think they're going to be in a state of flux at three positions, both tackles. And your right guard. You've got two that are solid in terms of Batonio and Tredder and everything else seems up, a little bit up Shaky. for grabs. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: yeah, know, it, it reeks of desperation. And um, as, as someone from Minnesota, I, I had a, I've had watched the Vikings very closely last season. They had a very similar problem as the Browns are dealing with right now, just revolving door at, you know, you, you start at left tackle. That's where all the blame goes. But really, we focus so much on left tackle, you know, as Mary Kay just said, there's problems all across this offensive line, and it doesn't matter the type of skilled players you have. You look at the Vikings with Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook. You can do that same lineup with the Browns. Talent on the outside, a great running back, a, a quarterback that can get the ball out. But when you ignore the offensive line, you eventually pay the tax on it. And that's what we're seeing. And, again, this is something, without getting the Trent Williams trade, now this offensive line is going to be a scapegoat for the entire year, and the Browns are going to have to live with that reality. Uh, one thing that they can't clean up because it's got, these are who they have are the offensive line, but one thing that everyone is crying that they clean up, and Freddie Kitchens keeps saying they will, is their lack of discipline. This team leads the league in penalties with 70 Uh you know, you thought it was behind them after Tennessee and then against New England, though it wasn't as many, you're just seeing sloppy football. So from the four-four-three, we got a question. Who's to blame for the lack of discipline on the team this year? We'll just go around because I'm sure <laughs> there's a lot of names you could throw out. Mary Kay, when you hear that question, who's the first name that comes to mind?
1: Well, of course, it all comes down to Freddie Kitchens. He has to pay attention to detail. Uh, he has to make sure that uh, everybody is doing what they need to do at all times. And again, in practice, you want to do certain things so that you're making sure people aren't false starting and and whatnot. So I think the buck has to stop with Freddie Kitchens, but uh, each player has to be responsible. Like you mentioned before, receivers and tight ends really shouldn't be false starting. You know, that's just, you know, that's just inexcusable. I was asking a couple of the guys today, though, were they doing anything? Were the Patriots, you know, yelling things out or doing something. And there was, there was you know, J.C. Treader said no, but Demetrius Harris said, yeah, there was some talk that uh, they were yelling, you know, shift and go and mm-hmm. different things, and they were kind of causing guys to flinch a little bit. So there, that might have been a little bit by design, by genius Bill Belichick. Uh, but I think when they start to play uh, the, the lesser teams, and I wish I would have brought my stats in with me, uh, about all the you know, the records of the teams that they've played and the records of the teams going forward, and I forgot to bring that in. But, um, but when they start to play some of these bad teams moving forward, I think they're going to look a lot more disciplined.
0: Yep. No, that makes sense.
2: I, I, think, I mean, you mentioned Bill Belichick. Who do we give credit for, for New England being so disciplined and never beating themselves? Bill Belichick. So it's on, it's on Freddie Kitchens. It's the coaching staff. And you've, you've got to figure out how to make sure these guys aren't false starting, these guys aren't committing stupid penalties, it's not about standing up there and saying we don't practice penalties because there's not a team in the NFL that does practice penalties. No, nobody's doing that. And, frankly, having guys run isn't going to fix the problem either. It, it's just, it's Freddie Kitchens, and it's the coaching staff, and it's guys not necessarily paying attention to the type of detail that they need to be paying
3: attention to. And, and that starts and stops with starts and stops with the coaches. I put this on the players. We all saw training camp. It wasn't a country club. Um, you know, Freddie did have everybody running after penalties, although I don't, I don't see the point in that the whole public shaming aspect of it like you you committed a penalty everybody knows you feel bad about it what's the point of running you're just I I don't you're grown men you know Um, he made a penalty and I think that should be enough shame involved in it but maybe he's doing that but beyond that I do think that it's the players because the coaches aren't out there waiting for the snap you know the coaches aren't taking a swing at somebody after a play. I, I don't believe that, again, we all saw training camp, and it wasn't like that. It wasn't lax. It wasn't anything goes. So I, I think this comes on the players, and I, I've i thought about how do you change that. I don't know. Like I said, I don't think running laps changes that. I think it's just every player, to quote Miles Garrett, just do better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Scott. Uh, clearly he has, and uh, not everybody has.
0: Yeah, Scott, I'm with you. I'm glad you brought up the players because they're the ones on the field. And when you are committing false start penalties, uh, you know Freddie Kitchens has way too much on his plate, as we've seen with you know botching some late game scenario stuff, third and fourth down things. The last thing he should be responsible for is making sure guys can go on two in the NFL. You know, in high school, if you jump off sides, you're coming out of the game. You know, the whole the whole stadium knows it's you and it's a, it's a terrible feeling that so that this is magnified at the NFL level. Um, those mistakes are canceled in high school. It's just, I can't believe what I've been seeing uh, when it comes to false starts. So the players have to take some ownership of, and just be prideful that, man, let's be able to go on tour, change our cadences up like a professional team. You know, this is the very simple stuff where I would blame Kitchens and, and Dorsey here though, is, you have guys on the field that make mistakes, and I'm not sure they're paying for them. A guy like Antonio Callaway. You visit his game against the 49ers. He ran the wrong play on the Odell Beckham reverse. For whatever reason, he thought he would be getting the ball, which likely means he thought he was playing Z. Uh, according to whatever the, the play was, the tag would have had a, a Z reverse on it, and he thought he was the guy with the ball. And <laughs> if you watch the play... He sees Odell get the ball, and then he's in no-man's land. Uh, Shortly after, he has a false start, and then it's the infamous drop that simply ended the 49ers game. How does Freddie reward him? Well, he plays a bunch again the next game as Richard Higgins is sitting there ready to play, and Richard doesn't see a snap. And then after that, Callaway plays, I think, like 81% of the snaps again in New England. So... That's my concern when it comes to Kitchens is, okay, he can say he's running these guys or he can say they're going to be better, but if these players aren't actually feeling threatened when they're making these boneheaded mistakes, then that falls on Coach Kitchens because these players, if you show me you aren't going to be accountable, then I have to make you accountable, and that's by taking you off the field. So at some point, Kitchens needs to have that moment with his team and really step up and show something. Look, should you bench Odell Beckham because he has a false start? Probably not. This is the NFL. Talent wins. But for Antonio Callaway to still be out there after brain fart after brain fart, that's where you lose credibility in the locker room.
1: Well, it's been the lesser of two evils for Freddie Kitchens with Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins. Rashard is in the doghouse, okay? Rashard's in the doghouse. So I think if Rashard wasn't in the doghouse, then Antonio would be off the field. Now what we will find out this week is, has Rashard dug himself out of that enough to replace Antonio because he was, Freddie was talking on uh, Monday a little bit about, yeah, if guys keep making the same mistakes over and over, I'm taking him off the field. He hasn't really been able to do that because it's been a weird situation with the receiver room. Uh, I, I think they just haven't had that next guy that, that they feel super comfortable with. And they, they also like the fact that Antonio Callaway can take the top off of a defense when he's on his game. But he hasn't been on his game. He hasn't been on his game. I mean, dating all the way back to, you know, when they said he came in out of shape. Yeah. You know, he just isn't where he needs to be this year. This was an opportunity for him to take a big step up. He's got a lot of raw talent, but you have, have to do so many other things. And whenever they talk about, you know, players doing more, more commitment, more work ethic, I always think of Antonio Callaway. He's got to be somebody that they're talking about in that regard.
2: I just I mean to go back to this whole coaching thing. I mean, yes, the players have to be they need to not make mistakes, but to me it still just starts with the coaching. I mean, I'm watching this team, they can't get subs on the field. I'm watching Baker Mayfield stand outside of the huddle while two guys are running on and then they're getting signaled to come back off and two more guys are yeah. on. And we're talking about a coach that can't even keep his punt team off the field. They go to Indianapolis and they fight. You know, Freddie Kitchen says we're not going to fight. And then they go to Indianapolis and they fight and they take victory laps over fighting. Right. It it starts with the coaches. It starts with the discipline. I I mean, every player, New England has boneheaded players, but they know how to set a culture and they know how to make it work. Every team has boneheaded players that make mistakes. And I'm not saying every player that makes mistakes. I mean, Miles Garrett's not a bonehead, right? But I'm just saying there are certain guys that, that just don't get it, but teams figure out how to make it work with them. And and I just think this coaching staff, and and it starts with Freddie Kitchens, they've got to instill this culture and they've got to instill this level of discipline that says, this is how we do things. The operation's going to work right. Everything's going to work right on game day. The Browns got called for a sideline warning. Scott, you and I have both covered high school sports. That's the only time I've ever seen a flag for a sideline warning. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: Like, these are things that reflect on the coaching staff and reflect on a culture that they have set where – Things aren't getting communicated and and things aren't happening that need to happen because the players on game day, their job is to go in the game, do their job, come out of the game. And the coaches need to make that as easy as possible. And that's just why I think it starts with the coaching staff.
3: Yeah, I think if you go beyond penalties, definitely there has been just a lack of doing the right thing. You know, if you go back and look at that fourth and 11, fourth and 16 punt false start fiasco (laughs) against the Patriots. Uh, So, Baker throws the incompletion to uh, Beckham, and the camera uh, on the broadcast goes. You see, you see uh, Baker, and he starts. He's kind of walking towards the sideline, looking probably for the next call or kind of get an idea of what's coming next. And then he stops and kind of backs up as if he's going to stay on the field. And then he just mouths what, yeah, and and runs off as if you know, that right there was the kind of encapsulated the confusion yes. and that whole sequence. And right. then they you know, bring in the punt team and, and Hodge false starts on, on purpose. And uh, even after that false start, the punt team didn't really seem to understand that they were coming back up because right. they started backing up thinking we're going to do this again. So,
1: right.
3: yeah, there's, there's, there's issues there. Yeah, the, exactly.
0: the lack of discipline has been um, everywhere on this team, and there was more today with uh, Baker Mayfield storming out of his press conference. So we're going to take a quick break here and dive all into that Baker Mayfield incident. When we come back, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Williams, joined in here with Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, and Scott Pasco. We're going to dive into the Baker Mayfield situation. Uh, if you're on Twitter or social media and following the Browns, I'm sure you saw it. Uh, Baker Mayfield talks on Wednesdays, and today he fielded a couple questions from a reporter. Uh, things escalated, and he took a hard right. Out of the presser, and that was that. He talked for, you know, he talked for about eight minutes. But um, I know there were a few people there that didn't get to ask him what they wanted to, and it was quite the abrupt ending. So, Mary Kay, you were there, front row. Uh, what did you see, and what were your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, we usually try to keep that going for sometimes up to fifteen minutes. So, really, he cut it short about half of what he normally does. So that was kind of disappointing because we only get him once a week. Right. Uh, so that really was uh, very unfortunate. But basically, the history here is that Tony Grossi originally, uh, at one point uh, pre-draft, before Baker was drafted, said something like, "If they draft Baker Mayfield, you know, it was just a, you know, something about how I, I can't even remember. He might have been misquoted about that too, right? I yeah, mean, do I you think remember? think
3: it was it had to do with uh, Baker allegedly wanting first-class tickets and the assumption that he was a prima donna. I think that's what it revolved around. He just came out very strongly against drafting. Yes.
1: So I can't remember the exact quote because if I recall correctly, I think that Tony said that he was a little taken out of context on the radio by what he actually said. I don't think he actually said what Baker probably thinks he said, which was something like, I'll retire if they draft Baker. I don't think he actually said that. But Baker, I think, thinks he did and perceives that he did. So he holds this against Tony. And this has been going on since day one with these two.
0: Yeah, so Mary Kay, um, you know, I, I'm the new guy. been on the beat now for about five weeks. Feels like a year, to be honest. But, you know, it's been five weeks. Um, so when I saw that happen, you know, I'm taken back. So if you can, can you kind of break down the history here? Um, and there's much, it's deeper than just, you know, a question you didn't like, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. So they've been doing this. Every single time Tony asks a question, Baker gives him the business. Even after the game the other night, when Tony asked the opening question, and it was, hey, what happened on those three turnovers in the first quarter? And Baker said, "Uh, well, we had a fumble, a fumble, an interception, right? I mean, he's going to give Tony the business because he does not like what Tony said about him uh, during the draft. So uh, the other thing about this is Tony has tried, and I know this for a fact, he has tried to bury the hatchet with Baker. He's tried to kind of have that one-on-one meeting with him where they say, you know what, let's move on from this, okay? It is my experience in the NFL that most people in the NFL do not want to give you that chance. I've had plenty of opportunities to try to mend the fences with people in the NFL, and almost no one ever wants to do that, and it's, (laughs) I want to say, Grow up, boys. Yeah, <laughs> come on. We can do this, right. right? We can we can talk this out. We can hug this out. You know. Yep. let's yep. Let's you know. Let's move on from this. Of course. But uh, it, it's sort of weird. It, you know, we're we're dealing with the alpha dog. It's the alpha dog league, and not everybody wants to uh, sing kumbaya, hold hands, and make things right. And uh, Baker hasn't wanted to do that. You know. And I think part of that could be, you know, he uses this stuff as fuel. Yeah. To go out and win football games. So if he loses the Tony Grossi grudge that he has, hey, you know, how do we know how he might not use that on a Sunday to get his game face on? So he likes to mix it up. It's part of the Baker brand. But anyways, so.
0: Well, on that same note, quickly, it's something that happened with Rex Ryan. I remember, you know, they were going back and forth. But after um, the, was it the Ravens game or the Jets game? Jets game. Um, he was asked, uh, you asked, you know, what do you think about Rex here? And his answer was, "Yes, uh, Rex gets no credit for this. Right. It you was know. the Ravens.
1: It was the big Ravens victory game. over okay. the Ravens. Yeah. And yeah, the 40 to 25. He gets no credit for this whatsoever. But we all know that, that Baker loves to, to get into it with people. Uh, he loves to play angry. He loves to have that chip on his shoulder. And that's just been his whole career. That's his M.O., And I think the Tony thing works for him. Right. But Tony's take on it now is I'm not going to back down in a press conference. So if he's going to challenge me, I'm going to challenge him back. And that's what happened today. You know, Tony didn't let up. He knew that he was getting the business from Baker. Instead of just kind of shriveling up and just letting him take it, he just kept going back at it. And the last question, which, you know, he – which Baker called the dumbest question you could ask was, you know, something like, "Well, how did you like that drive?" Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tony, you know, th- that was Tony need- needling him on purpose. Yep. And so he got a reaction out of Baker, but but Baker also fell for it a little bit, right?
0: Yeah. B- he took Baker, the bait.
1: Baker took the bait. Yep. And in a perfect world, maybe you don't take the bait. But we talked to Baker right when he came in from practice. And after we go over this a little bit more, I have a little bit of a theory on that as well.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's not ideal that your quarterback stormed off during a press conference. You you don't like to Like you said, Mary Kay, we only get him once a week outside of game day. Uh, So there's a lot of questions people want to ask him, and, and they didn't get the opportunity to do that. These guys don't like to talk to us for the most part, especially when they have to stand up at the podium and there's a million cameras around them and a million reporters. These guys don't like that we're in their locker room. They don't like that they have to talk to us. I'm sure if you took a poll in that locker room of the players, <laughs> they'd probably be team Baker on this one as far as not, not wanting to talk to us. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of the environment we're in to begin with, and we all sort of approach it on both sides of it, you know, trying to be as professional as possible and, and do our jobs the best that we can. And, and treat each other with respect. And unfortunately, in this situation, you know, Baker was not happy with what Tony was asking him and decided that he had enough and, and stormed off. I'm curious if there was a little more maybe trying to find that fire a little bit, or maybe trying to galvanize guys a little bit, or you know, if he just saw that as an opportunity to to sort of take up for you know us first the world mentality. And of course he knows the fan base is gonna you know embrace the player over the media as well. I just wonder if there was a little bit of that kind of motivating. his. not that he came in thinking, I'm going to storm off during this press conference, but maybe he saw the opportunity there and decided that was it. I was yeah. just speculating on that, but maybe he saw that a little
0: bit. Yeah, and I, I will I want to get into that in a bit. You know, the, the chess player Jedi mind trick of Baker Mayfield here possibly, but Scott, I think you may have had an interesting perspective on this, not being in Bria today, holding the office down. Did you see this unfold on social media, on Twitter, and what were your initial thoughts when you saw this all blow up?
3: Yeah, I I saw only a clip at first, and then the you know the transcripts started floating in. Okay, um, it's important for players and and fans to understand something fundamental of the way we do our job. We ask questions to get insight from players, and some of those questions might seem obvious. You know, some might seem like the dumbest thing you could possibly ask, <laughs> but. You never know what the answer is going to be, even though you think the answer is obvious. You don't know what the player is going to say. Now, I think the the, the final, the straw that kind of led to him leaving was uh, the follow up. Were you happy with that drive?
1: Right. All right.
3: It's a drive at the end of the first half against the Patriots. The Browns did not score. I think they only went maybe 15 to 17 yards on that drive. Yeah. Now there's a lot of ways he could have answered that. He could have said. You know, I'm not happy with any drive that we will score on. You right,
1: know? right.
3: Could have said that, and that's mm-hmm. it. He could have said, you know what, I'm happy that we got a couple first downs there and got out of our end zone and, and, and were able to get past the two-minute warning, uh, you know, and, and we didn't give the ball right back to the Patriots. But we didn't score, so I'm not happy. That's another way you could answer it. Right. And the, the beginning of that question was about the urgency on the two-minute drive. Joe Batonio came up after that and basically got the same kind of question about that two-minute drive. And and how it went, and he talked for like a minute, and was insightful, and, and talked about a few different things, not just the offensive line, you know. It's it's not hard, you, you don't you don't have to have this defensive attitude, and I think there are some people. Baker often has a defensive attitude when he's in his press conferences. Freddie Kitchens has that. Todd Monk, Todd Munken has that. Uh, we've seen that more and more, and. Uh, it just kind of creates a situation where they think that we have some sort of ulterior motive when really we just want them to talk. Right, exactly. We want to know what they're thinking. You know, Baker said, you don't play, you don't know. He's right. Yeah, we don't. That's why we're asking you questions. Right. Yeah. That's why we're here asking the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns to give us some insight into what happened. You know, And, and for whatever reason, he didn't like that.
1: And I, I have another little bit of a theory on, on what I think may have gone on and why Baker was frustrated at that time. The the interview took place right after they came in from the practice field. Yeah. And Baker has taken it upon himself now. He said he's taking it personally, and he really feels responsible to get this thing turned around and to get everybody to stop making penalties and to stop making mental errors and mistakes. So I'm guessing that while he was out on the practice field, there was, were some mistakes happening and that he felt responsible to try to say whatever it was. We were not out there for, you know, after the first 20 minutes, we go inside. But, you know, maybe whatever. Come back to the ball on a scramble drill or whatever, you know, whatever. Or, hey, you know, get your head out of your ass. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what he's out there saying. But I feel like he probably had a practice where he had to be like the dad. He had to be the coach. And he felt like, you know, he a lot of things went wrong. I think he's taking now. That almost too much to hurt, you know? And what does Bill Belichick always say? And what does Freddie always say? Just do your job. It's not his job to coach these guys up. It's not his job to say, don't false start, don't have a mental error, come back on the scramble drill. That's Freddie's job. That's Adam Henry's job. So you don't have to be out there putting the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're a second-year quarterback trying to get a season turned around. So I think they need to back him up. Yes, you do need to be a leader as a quarterback and you need to show that kind of leadership and maybe you have to yell a little bit here and there. But it's not all up to him. It shouldn't be. It can't be. And they, they need to watch for that this week.
2: You know, I'll give some credit to Baker throughout his time here. He's been who he is. He, yeah. He's lived up to that. And this is who Baker Mayfield is. And, and I think from our perspective, we kind of like seeing that from athletes, you know, Sometimes it's someone who's abrasive. Sometimes it's someone who's honest. Sometimes it's, you know, I mean, we get enough guys that sit up there and just spout the same thing over and over again. Scott, like you said, we know what the answer is going to be the minute we ask the question. But at the very least, Baker Mayfield has come in and been who Baker Mayfield is. And he's stuck to that brand. And I also think sometimes, you know, and I don't know if this was the situation here, but Mary Kay, you mentioned it. He just came off the practice field. Yep. Right. And sometimes these, you know, the timing of these things. You know, I'll say this. I know if I had to practice, and I'm in meetings all day, and I come off the field, and I have to stand at this podium with lights on me, and people asking me who knows what, I've probably been prepped for 90% of it, but maybe something's going to catch me off guard. You know, sometimes that get that can get the best of you, even if you're really polished and and have done it a million times. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily excuse the behavior, but I do think sometimes we're a little harder on on athletes sometimes when. They have little meltdowns or they misspeak or they say something because it is a difficult situation.
0: Yeah, Mary Kay, I think you're onto something here because, look, after every game on a Sunday, you hear players say, well, you know, it starts tomorrow. And, of course, there's truth to that. Mentally, they're there. But that Wednesday practice is when the ball gets rolling. Yeah. And there's a real sense of urgency around this team. We could all feel it today. And we likely caught Baker Mayfield, like you said, coming off the field. And there was a it was an intense practice today, I'm sure. And right. He probably saw some things that he's not happy with, and he knows that their back is against the wall. And as the leader of the team, the quarterback, uh, that's got him feeling a type of way, and then you compound it with the questions that he wasn't feeling, and you get that. I want to look big picture with this. Uh, You know, We broke down the situation, what happened, the history of it. Scott, going forward, is this something you worry about with Baker Mayfield? It continues to be a little thing here, a little thing there. Of course, winning heals everything. But is there a cause of concern that there may be an emotional intelligence that just isn't there with Baker Mayfield yet?
3: Well, we're seeing him lose a lot more games than he's used to. And, and this is the way uh, he's acting now. But he was button heads with people before the season even started. Remember Colin Cowherd, who seemed like every week. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, remember, um, well, you know, we saw things with, between him and, and Tony Grossi during training camp. You know, and again, that was at the point where expectations were running high they hadn't played anybody yet but everybody was still feeling really good about the season I don't know I, he's right he is who he is and, and this is the way uh he's going to act and whether it's a we think it's appropriate or not this is Baker Mayfield and I think Dan today at some point it might have been in uh, the video after after the uh the availability uh winning changes everything right. you know, they beat the Broncos they beat the Bills run off a few wins and everything's (laughs) groovy again, you know, nobody cares how Baker Mayfield's acting.
1: And again, like I said, I think he likes to have some enemies and I think he likes to have some things to get a little worked up about and it's part of, you know, his gamesmanship and I get that. But in this particular situation, if I were the Browns, if I were John Dorsey, here's how I would handle it. And maybe it comes from Freddie Kitchens, John, whoever, I would... I would probably sit Baker down in this situation. I, actually, I would have done it a long time ago. I would have done it after the first five times he went after Tony in a press conference. Because it's just a bad look for Baker. Right. I mean, I'm getting texts from people in the league today asking me what kind of guy he is. You know right. what I mean? He's, he did not. It wasn't a good look for him. So even though he knows that fans are going to rally around him, and, you know, go after Tony in a situation like this. I mean, you know, we're never going to win in the court of public opinion a battle with a player, ever, right? Yeah. So he knows that, and that, you know, that's that's fine. I mean, everybody understands that part of it. But it's not a good look for him uh, to have that out there in the world right now. So if I were John Dorsey, I would sit him down and I would say, all right, we got it. You know, you did it the first 10 times. That was that was great. You got your point across. You got your re- revenge. We know how you feel. now." Just block out that noise. Tony doesn't wear orange and brown. He doesn't <laughs> matter. Block out the noise. Don't let him see his sweat. Don't take the bait. Don't get into into it with him. And, it, you know, it's time to rise above it and take the high road from here on out.
2: Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the reality. On Sunday, if the Browns win and Baker Mayfield plays great, that video is going to make its rounds again, and it's going to be quote tweeted, that's my quarterback by a million fans. Yeah the Browns lose on Sunday and Baker throws four interceptions, that video is going to make its rounds. And then people are going to say, oh, Baker lacks composure. Baker can't handle the pressure. I mean, it's all going to depend. If you start winning, people are going to love this stuff all over again. I mean, they already kind of do. But if you keep losing and keep turning the ball over, now they're, it's going to get spun differently. It really is a winning-fixes-everything
1: situation. So true, Dan. It really is. You're so right about that.
0: Isn't it feel like, though, he's raising the degree of difficulty here, though? I mean, if he just keeps his head down, and again, he's not going to keep his head down. He's Baker Mayfield. But fields those questions differently and doesn't storm off because that's really the, the bite there. He mm-hmm. walks away from the situation. And it wasn't a walk. I mean, he, he was pretty swiftly out of there. Um, I, I'm just asking, is he setting himself up for just he, now he has to play even better? Because he brings this attention to him and they're running out of excuses because he he asks for this by combating people in that manner.
1: Maybe he got his game face on a little early this week. You uh, know? Yeah. Maybe he just got enough a little bit of a little a little bit of a fire under himself or got a little mad this week just on Wednesday and you know, they're leaving Friday. Hopefully, you know, it won't dissipate in the thin air of Denver and he can stay mad and go out and beat the Broncos.
2: And uh, maybe Baker Mayfield goes after him. Baker Mayfield storms off.
1: Yeah.
2: go, But, you know, that's our quarterback. That's our guy standing up for us. Maybe that's
3: what he's hoping to accomplish, too.
1: Method to his madness.
3: I don't think Baker Mayfield takes anything out of the interviews onto the field. You know, we saw that with with Hugh Jackson, but Hugh Jackson was on the other sideline. You know, I don't think Baker's going to score a touchdown against the Broncos, look up to the press box, and, you know, stare down... (laughs) Anybody in the press box, you know, I
2: point, point up at Tony Gross. Yeah. I mean, he might, he
3: might, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think um, that part of it, I think is separate, but it is clear that he likes to create enemies, something to, something to, to, to fight against, you know, beyond the normal opponent that he's going to have that, that week, you know, again, that's how you get Rex Ryan. That's how you get Colin Calvert. It's, all these things that he could easily avoid, but he, he doesn't. You know, he, he kind of leans into it and, and just creates this situation. So if it works for him, great. Has it worked for him much this season, though? Has it? You know, right. Two and five, and, and, and he's struggling. So maybe it works this week.
1: Well, think about this Richard Sherman had to create, right? <laughs> yeah. He had to create something before that game that to. To get up for the Browns the way that he wanted to. He had a perceived slight that Baker Mayfield didn't shake his hand. Never happened. Didn't happen. But Richard Sherman had to get his game face on. This is such an intense game and an intense league. And sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And look at what Bill Belichick does to get his guys fired up. The boogeyman defense, you know, they took Sam Darnold saying, yeah, we're going to try to find their weaknesses. I mean, they just blew that out of proportion. And they just destroyed him because of that. And I think that, you know, that Baker needs to keep that edge. He needs to keep that little chip on his shoulder going. And he'll, he'll get it wherever he can. I mean, who knows? You can't count on Rex Ryan to come out and rip him this week. You can't count on Colin Coward coming out and ripping him this, this week. He's got a big job ahead of him. And he's got to get mad. I mean, he's got a really nice life right now. He's married. Emily's got a great job at Channel Three, working with me now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's great. Yeah. She's probably a great cook. She motivates him to work out. You know, he, he's got a really nice life. Yep. He's happy. You know, life is good. I mean, he's he, got
3: funny commercials. With he's got her funny. Too. He's got funny commercials. commercials. <laughs>
1: Everybody loves the commercials. He needs to find a way to get mad.
0: Yeah, and that's what, you know, all times great. Do it. Not that Baker is that yet, but that's obviously what he's chasing. They find ways to get themselves up, get themselves going. Um, And that could have been what this was today. Uh, To wrap this up, I want to first read the end of Baker Mayfield's tweets, uh, you know, quickly after that whole situation he took to Twitter to address it. Um, Two tweets, but the back end of the second one is simply, my sense of urgency is at an all-time high, and if I offended anybody along the way, dot, 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 that's too bad. And that's Baker Mayfield in a nutshell right there. Sounds Isn't like
3: it? a Frank Sinatra song.
0: <laughs> I did it my way.
1: Maybe we could get Hayden to sing that.
0: There we go. There go. We
1: should have Hayden put those two tweets to music. The remix. Let's do it. I like
0: it. I like it. I'll text him after this. Uh, real quickly, I, I do want to go around, uh, just get one word or phrase to describe the Browns locker room after Wednesday. You know, So it's probably the most animated or at least filled day, drama, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'll start things off. I think this is an anxious bunch. I got that feel from Freddie today. Um, you know, not that he's, you know, jumping out of his seat or nervous, but there's anxiety is starting to creep in that this team needs to win. And you saw, I, I saw it with Freddie and then with Baker starting off like that, there's just a sense of urgency around this team. And so I got an anxious feel. Uh, Mary Kay, word or phrase from to take away from Wednesday? Well,
1: I think that's a great word for it. And, you know, they should be, They should have a spring in their step. They should be having a little swagger right now. They should be happy. They should be cocky. They have the easiest part of their schedule coming up. Now, maybe not this week or next week, but they have an opportunity to go out and win seven games, possibly. I mean, it's all right there in front of them if they can just get their act together. So I think they should uh, be acting a little different than they are. They seem a little bit tense, anxious. There you go. Come
2: on, guys. The tone is different. Uh, I know that's not a word. Maybe that's a phrase. It off, counts. Right? Mm-hmm. The tone is different. I thought Freddie's tone was very different today. Freddie sounded like a head coach that is off to a two and five start. Exactly. And things aren't easy right now, and that relationship with the media isn't easy anymore. I feel like this has been a very uh, navel gazing media segment here, but you know that relationship is not quite as easy as it was back in July before you lost five games, and so I just think. The tone has changed, sort of. Now, you know, I thought it was still there was still energy in that locker room. It was right off the practice field. I talked to a few guys for a, a different story, and everybody was was fine and gave good answers and not grumpy. But the tone, sort of generally, especially with Freddie, who is the tone setter,
3: was a little bit different today. I wasn't in the locker room today, but I'm glad to hear that it was a little tense because I think yeah. they've reached the point of the schedule. They reached the, the no excuses portion of the schedule really they're going against a, a team with a backup quarterback who's never thrown in an NFL pass this week right to win that game yeah they're in trouble uh you know Andy Dalton's been benched you have all these they got two opponents with winning records left on their schedule as mm-hmm. of right now right so there's nothing like this is it you know if you don't win now then you know you're done although the New York Times Simulator. Have you seen the playoff simulator the New York oh, Times has on their yeah. website? Yeah. Is it the same, as the same thing as last? Did yeah, it's, last it's year? pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, it'll, it'll run through everything and, and tell you the playoff chances. So the Browns and the Browns right now, I think it's like 15, 18%. The Browns lose the next two games, it goes down to like 5%. But if they win out after that, so if they rebound from two and seven to finish nine and seven, mm-hmm. their chances of making the playoffs are still over 70%, almost 80%.
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's possible. It's,
3: there's, there's margin for error there, but it's good if they're a little tense going into that because you don't want to just, you know, mail it in.
0: Yep, I hear that. And, you know, secretly, uh, listeners, this whole Baker Mayfield segment was really just a backdoor pilot for something I like to do here. Uh, with life on the beat, with today, uh, the the drama inside the locker room, we've kind of already peeled back the curtain on, you know, what it was like Uh, seeing Baker Mayfield in that moment uh, you know most listeners probably saw a 18 second soundbite video clip so I hope we were able to peel back the curtain a little bit there describe what life on this Cleveland Browns beat is like Uh, Cleveland traveling to Denver this weekend so we'll have uh, Mary Kay and Dan there Dan I know you're a runner so you know now we're mixing altitude in Denver Um, are you going to be out there training like Rocky or what are you looking forward to
2: I'm I'm hoping to get I have I have one skill in life. I don't do many things well. There are There is something I do really well When I land in a city, I can find two things a running trail and a hipster coffee shop.
0: There you go.
2: Find those two things. I found one in Providence over the weekend. It was such a hipster coffee shop that the coffee stirs were dried noodles. <laughs> <laughs> which i would never seen before in my life but i knew as soon as as soon as i went over and put like the stuff in my coffee and i'm looking for the stirs and i'm like is it these noodles i knew i had found a, a spot that was a place right in my heart
0: sounds like a go-to spot and
2: then in denver i, I know that there's a little running trail along some canal or something I, I found it i happened to stay right next to it last year so uh yeah i'm hoping to get a little run in i, I got a Couple good runs in last year. I didn't really feel the altitude all that much. Sure. Uh, I guess I felt it a little bit. I think there was a Browns player. I can't remember who it was who was saying the real issue is more recovery and, and kind of staying hydrated than it is actually like in the game a shortness of breath and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, I didn't feel it. I'm not playing an NFL game. <laughs> I did get a lot of miles in that day, but uh, you know, it's still not the same as, as playing a full 60-minute NFL game.
1: Well, Dan is a runner on the road. I'm a shopper. There you go. I love to just go find that cool shopping district in whatever city I end up in.
3: Way to keep the cliche up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not many, you know, maybe not many uh, NFL beat writers will will tell you that they're a shopper, but I'm a shopper. And uh, so that's what I did when I was in Boston. I walked up and down Newberry Street and just had a blast. I I loved it. Did you find some stuff you liked? I found a lot of things that I liked. I actually didn't spend any money in Boston. Believe oh. it or not, I did not buy anything. Window shopping. I did a lot of window shopping. There you go. Um, Making
0: a wish list. we got Christmas coming exactly. up here soon. You know.
1: But I just Denver is a wonderful, wonderful city. I'm so excited to go there. It's beautiful. Although last year when we were there, it was like 60-something degrees, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. It was, it was real, in December. It was towards the end of December. And yeah. It was beautiful. It was
1: gorgeous. And didn't you say it was like six degrees there today? Yeah, but it's supposed to warm up a little bit. Okay. Plus six degrees but it's just it's gorgeous there you've got the mountains in the background yeah. uh, you know I'm a sucker for little white lights everywhere you go out to dinner and just the streets look so pretty and great restaurants and a lot of energy and life and the the smell of weed everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <It's> waiting <laughs> for that one. It's going to be
2: cold enough, though, that I'll be able to text our photographers in the game. While I'm sitting in the nice warm press box and they're out in the cold, I'll be able to text them during the game about how, ooh, it's a little chilly up here. Yep. <laughs> Maybe a sweater.
0: Yeah, a lot to look forward to with that trip to Denver. I'll tell you one thing I learned today with Life on the Beat. Um, never miss an open locker room. You just never know what could happen. So, uh, interesting day-to-day, and with being on this beat um it seems to be that way in this type of team especially this year um, with all the characters you got and as we've said winning changes everything so they go to denver they take care of business Um, that tone that energy in the locker room will change right away Uh, very quickly i want to transition here into uh, what's cooking on insider uh, as we've talked about football insider not only can you text mary Kay and get your questions to her, and then on this podcast, you also get an exclusive newsletter uh, that only goes to Football Insider. So, for those of you not subscribed, you're missing out on some uh, interesting, exclusive pieces of content. You know, sometimes video uh, look aheads. We feature players to watch, uh, things like that. So, uh, you guys, what are what are readers looking for uh, in Football Insider, and what are some things that if you aren't subscribing, that you're missing out on?
3: Well, recently, I wrote about uh, how. We haven't really seen a lot of those downfield passes that we saw last year. You remember those big, deep passes to Brashard Perryman and Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, threatened the needle 40 yards downfield and, you know, hitting Antonio Callaway. You haven't really seen that. He's thrown about the same amount downfield, but he's not throwing as many catchable balls, you know? So I kind of took a dive into that. Um, that's where it really, I think, that the big differences are. You know, his, his deep percentage the percentage of passes downfield is about the same, but his catchable balls has gone from like 50% down to 30%. So among all the issues they have on offense, there's that. there his you know, his accuracy downfield. So I kind of took a dive into that earlier this week on Insider.
0: Yep, and that's an example of this type of stuff you'll get with Insider. I, in a couple of days, I'll have an Easter egg coming up where I'll look forward at a uh, Philip Lindsay of the Denver Broncos. I like to preview a player to watch on the opposing team. Uh, Philip Lindsay being the undrafted rookie, second year guy now, made the Pro Bowl last year, real dynamic player, uh, and a guy that uh, the Browns better know where he's at on the field or their season will end rather early in Denver. Um, so we're going to wrap up here very shortly, but first I want to just go around quickly and get everyone's prediction. Um, we'll start here with me. I think that the Browns are going to. Go to Denver and write this ship and really what is a must win game. Uh, and they'll come out, you know, probably a two, three score game. They've got a, a first year starter now uh, with Denver. So I think the Browns take care of business and get on track.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that they will win this game, but I think we need to caution against thinking that it's sort of going to be easy because yeah. the Broncos are two and six. They have a very, very good defense, it's a sound, fundamental defense. They're ranked fourth in the NFL right now. They've got some good players on that defense, including Von Miller. Browns are lucky they're not going to face Bradley Chubb because if those two guys were together bookending it, I think it'd be a really, really tough game. It still will be, and of course they're going to attack, you know, any offensive linemen, weaknesses they think the Browns have. So I don't think this is going to be easy by any stretch, but I do think they'll try to take advantage of a quarterback that hasn't started a game, and that was a college game for almost four years <laughs> in Brandon Allen. So, I think the Browns will win.
2: Yeah, I'm, not, I'm going to pick the Browns. My only concern is that defense. You mentioned the the numbers, even from an analytics perspective. Denver is the third best defense in the NFL behind only New England and San Francisco. That's according to Football Outsiders, their DBOA stat. Uh, a very good pass defense. Their fifth, their rush defense, 14th. So, maybe that's where the Browns can take advantage of that defense a little bit, but that's what worries me—the pass rush. If they get to Baker Mayfield, we've seen him struggle with that. But I think the Browns are going to be able to get some pressure on Brandon Allen. I think they're going to be able to come away with a with a win as they get ready for Buffalo.
3: Unless Baker Mayfield gets hurt, I'm picking the Browns to win every week the rest of the way. So they have to, let's, don't let's they? Get that out of the way. <laughs> you know, I I don't see. I don't know how the point spreads are going to come out, but sure. I'm looking at them as being favored. Yeah, the rest of the way. Probably. Um, even against Buffalo, be against Buffalo because Buffalo's at home. Uh, you know, I'm picking them to win, and you're going to ask this question next week, and I'm going to say, yeah, they're going to win.
0: We'll just we'll just loop this, son. You know, you right? Go. Right when this final segment, you're going to show up. We'll just loop it. All right, guys, that's all we got. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, don't forget sign up for Football Insider where you can get your exclusive questions to Mary Kay Cabot, and then we can answer them here on the podcast along with the newsletter every morning. To subscribe, click on the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com browns. For Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, and Scott Pascoe, I'm Ellis Williams. Thanks for listening.